Welcome back to the Preacher Podcast. We are continuing our Easter season series called Resurrection Reality. Of course, you can read more about that on the foundation at wellscongregationalservices.net. Our preachers for this series, Pastor Ben Tomzak, serving Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Pastor John Bergman, serving Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Downers Grove, Illinois. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and uh, we're happy to be together again talking about God's Word and proclaiming this message today from John chapter 15. Uh, John, could you tell us a little bit about this week's theme in the Resurrection Reality series? Sure. So we're looking at the fact that the living Lord produces active faith. But the way that he produces that is he doesn't just give us some instructions. The reality of the resurrection just doesn't give us a few five or seven or ten step ways to try to work harder to produce fruits of our own faith, uh, just the opposite. The living Savior really lives in us and sends his spirit to produce those fruits of faith in us. What a powerful truth that is about the resurrection. So it's not so much, you know, what did Jesus do and now how do I do that? It's what does Jesus do? He lives in me to produce those fruits. And uh, that's a neat resurrection reality. Great. Yeah, the reality not only of uh, Jesus' resurrection, but now exploring the life that he brings about in us, this real life that uh, manifests itself in real ways. Uh, ben, we're going to talk about the gospel of the day as our sermon text. Before we get to that, could you remind us of the first and second readings? Anything else you wish to highlight in the proper and kind of how they're tied together? Sure. Uh, we get our Acts lessons here in Easter, and we have Acts 4, verses 32 to 37 this week. And it lets you see that a summary of the early church's life is exactly what we'll talk about in the gospel today. They bore fruit. Uh, we, we get a picture of the early life of the first Christian congregations. Um, I suppose we call it first Lutheran in Jerusalem. Maybe it was the second and third Lutheran too at that time. But uh, they're getting together. And what do we find out? Two huge things that were basically the definition of their life and their fruit producing. They shared everything they had. Uh, the, the, uh, the inspired apostle Luke says, um, no one claimed any possessions were their own. And it wasn't because... There was some great order that came down from on high. Everybody better sell all their stuff for the for, for Jesus, you know. Um, no, this came because they heard the word. The, I'm sure the apostles were telling them the story of that rich young man. Um, and Jesus said, sell everything, not again as a command, but to get everything out of the way but the Lord. Or or whoever gives up everything for me. The, you know, the story Peter probably told um, about the end of that encounter, that yes, you will be rewarded by the Lord. Um, plus, they had their Old Testament prophets, just like the apostles. I bet these guys were pouring over the scriptures and seeing them with new eyes. And they heard the prophets talk about taking care of one another, the, the poor, the needy, the, the foreigner, the alien living in your gates. And they determined, it said, there will be no needy among us because they heard the prophets and that word bore fruit. And, and again, I just can't emphasize enough how this wasn't uh, compelled and it wasn't forced upon them. This wasn't a a communist redistribution of things, um, stealing. Um, no, just from time to time, as the opportunity arose, they sold possessions, and then they took care of one another. But then the other big thing we saw was that at the same time they were preaching the word, the apostles continued to testify um, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though life was getting harder for them. They were bearing fruit 
in preaching the word. So we see that balance that the church has to have of both love for neighbor and love for God. Um, even to the point of pain, they would they would talk about the resurrection and show us what a Christian church looks like, loving God and loving the neighbor with much grace upon them all. And as we learn from the Saint from Saint Paul, whatever grace God gives is sufficient. And then John writes about it in a theological sense. He writes to his young congregation. It's First John chapter three, verses eighteen to twenty-four, and he tells us uh, the verse I always grab from here is, uh, "Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth." He talks about the evidence of faith, which always in John's letter flows from what God has done for us, the God who is greater than our hearts. Um, and we see here how uh, to take the image Jesus will give us. We're, we're just branches. Um, we're just doing what branches do, believing in the name of his son, loving one another. Um, and then he picks up the language he had heard from Jesus about Jesus living in us as, as we live in him. So really what you're going to get here in, in this week is, is James 2 in action, right? that we see a man is justified, not just by his faith, but by what he does, um, which shows us, I think, that the letter of James is not some weird anomaly. Like it's some black sheep stepchild we keep in a back room and, and we say, oh yeah, that's right, he wrote some Bible stuff. No, the, the theology of John and James and Paul and Luke and the church was the same. This also reminded me of something from the Sem. Um, when we were being taught to preach, I remember, I think I had Professor Gergel for homiletics at this time, and, and he kept telling us not just to talk about the means of grace. He said to give them, to deliver them. And I, I thought of this here, that we're not just going to talk about the Christian life. We're going to do the Christian life. That only happens when we are giving people the means of grace, when we are delivering the forgiveness of sins that binds them to the vine that is Christ, as the gospel will talk to us about. Right, right. Thank you for that. Let's go to the sermon text for today, then, which is the gospel for the fifth Sunday of Easter. John 15, uh, verses 1 through 8, a familiar section, um, and maybe one that preachers have uh, preached on before, but um, there's so much in it and, and so many vivid pictures. Uh, it's virtually inexhaustible, I think. But uh, John, let's start with you. Just your thoughts, reflections for preachers as you look at this text and uh, think about uh, what you bring out in preaching this text. Sure. Uh, ben did a great job summing up the, the lessons there. Our, our first reading shows believers showing their love. Our second reading commands it uh, to, to show that love too. But now Jesus shows how it happens. How, how does this take place? How does this fruit happen? And there's going to be a lot of clear law gospel that you can divide in here, but Cutting is going to happen, and either you are not going to bear fruit, you're not going to have a relation to, to Jesus, and the Father will cut you off forever, or you will have a relationship to Jesus, be connected to him, the vine, and then he will cut. Uh, you, you'll be pruned as well. But cutting is going to happen either way. It, it might not always feel good, but oh, what blessings there will be forever if uh, that cutting happens at the hands of a loving Father and my Savior what eternal consequences there will be if that cutting is a cutting off from the Father forever. So Jesus kind of starts to lay that out right in the beginning. And then, of course, he launches into this vine and branches picture, and I'm sure we're going to unpack that a little bit more today. For a long time in my ministry, I served in Virginia, and there'd be bumper stickers that said, Napa is for auto parts, Virginia is for wine. Um, that's a knock on the Napa Valley. So depending on where 
you are and your listeners are. It depends on how many vines you're surrounded with. But we were surrounded by vineyards. And see, you could see this picture pretty well in Galilee. Jesus and the disciples would have seen this picture well, too. And not that I'm any master winemaker. I've never done that. But from what I'm told, the great, great vines are the branches on the vines are those who have been pruned over years and the great ones that don't look great they look like they've just gone through a lot but year after year of that pruning and, and even suffering produces an incredible harvest and they are prized by the one who planted them and so maybe i'll stop right there that's kind of setting us up already to explore this uh this picture a little bit more and i don't want to steal all of uh, benjamin's thunder here either but just some thoughts to get us going great yeah i uh i used to live in central california and so we would say yeah you could do just fine staying right in central California, kind of the modest part of California. You didn't have to go to the fancy Napa Valley either. Uh, you could get awfully good grapes and good wine, yeah. right the down to earth, uh, the central Valley too. Uh, but yeah, that's where I got familiar with, with vines a little bit. You know, when we drive to Costco, we drive by vineyards or uh, on the outside of town or things like that. But uh, Ben, let me turn it over to you. Just your reflections on this text um, or uh, avenues for preaching it, thoughts for preachers? Well, I always thought Virginia was for lovers, but apparently now I know it's for wine too. But too. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they often yeah, go it, together, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> that's a different text. That yeah. is a different text. Um, it is striking here how, how just cut and dry, if we're going to use all our gardening analogies, this, this text really is. I mean, it's you're either connected to Jesus here or not. You know, and, and you think of the context, this is Jesus giving one of his last sermons to his disciples before the, the worst thing in their life is happening. And he's and he's driving his point home eight, seven times. I counted he uses that verb for remain just in, in, in the middle of the text. Remain, remain. They can't miss the point. You have to be with me. You're either connect with me or you're not. And then he's using the metaphor, you know, vine branches, what happens to dead branches but the metaphor meets reality pretty quickly. There is a fiery end for those who are not connected to Jesus. So this is this is a big deal, and it's it's active. Um, you know what is it's the the gardener's going to gather up these dead branches and burn them. So it's reminding us that God isn't just going to kind of look the other way and just ignore. No, when when the judgment comes, those who did not remain in Christ, those who decide to go their own way. Um, they sought where they might to find a way. Uh, it's it's going to end poorly. So with all his heart, with all his love, because he starts with that, I've already I've already cleaned you. I've already pruned you. I've already connected you to me. Um, I desperately don't want you to get thrown into a fire. So there's just, it's such an, I think he started before you know, talking about the you know, justification, sanctification. People are going to want to talk about the good works, the fruit. But um, th this text is so huge in, in the apology, I, I looked it up this because I was writing um, 12 times. John 15, five is quoted in the book of Concord or referred to. And some of those could be not uh, in the original. They could be the bracketed you know, editor's insertion. But but eight of those are Melanchthon in the Augsburg Confession or the apology. And I'm, I just happened to be reading this section of the apology this week on love and the fulfilling of the law. And it seems like everywhere you turn, he's coming back to this verse. And because that's his point, that the Rome perverts the idea of works that I present to God. And he says, no, the law cannot be kept without Christ. 
We only praise works in view of Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So this helps us understand the Lutheran perspective on justification. Right, right. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, Ben, the uh, the fire uh, verses. You did too, John, uh, that, yeah, that image is inescapable here. When I preach this text before, I think I've said that kind of in the law section of the sermon or bringing out those thoughts that it is a sobering way that Jesus puts it here. You're either connected to him or you or you aren't. Or I think I said, you know, for every vine, it's really either fruit or fire. Uh, those are the two options that Jesus gives us here, and which is uh, maybe takes us back a little bit uh, when we realize the the stark contrast that he's giving to us. Um, but right, he starts out with saying, "You are already clean. Um, you know, you you are connected to me." Uh, and then later he'll say, "Remain, remain connected to me. Remain in me." Um, yeah, the uh, so. The axiom is, you know, you don't preach to believers as if they were unbelievers. So I think the warnings are there, but we are preaching to people who are connected to the vine. Um, yeah, how do you go about uh, balancing law and gospel or justification, sanctification? What is the role here of encouraging fruit bearing uh, while doing so in a gospel-centered way? We've touched on that a little bit already, but advice for preachers here, how have you gone about it? John? Yeah, well, you're right. We are already clean, and yet, if you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. That that sinful nature in me is always there. And and as always, Jesus takes my spiritual life and growth far more seriously than I do. That is my sinful nature. Yeah. And these words cut right to the heart. There is, there is no way that I can bear fruit apart from him. And even uh, pastors are listening to this. I'm not saying this is what you'd say in your sermon necessarily, but so oftentimes I think, well, no, I'll, I'll bear fruit because I fill in the blank. I, I know enough. I'm charismatic. I can be good with people or I can figure out the right strategies and plans. I, yeah, that's all fine. But if, if I don't have time with Jesus personally, I will wither and die. And I've heard this a number of times in reports from our synod that when they study those who walk away from the ministry and resign, there are often a number of reasons, but two themes often are common, that they stopped being with the brothers at circuit or conference, but then also that they stopped having personal time and devotion for themselves, right? So I need these words of Jesus to remind me that I need him every single day and, and to be serious about it too. I would play with sin. I would love to say that the, the point of my life is to be comfortable and cozy, Jesus says, no, the point of your life is to be in me and then to bear fruit. And so I need that reminder. Great. Yeah. Uh, ben, related thoughts branching off of those? Yeah. Um, we're sometimes uncomfortable because the evangelical wants to talk about, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You know, that, that's the phrase that's so common. And and I think we will react against that and say, it's not a relationship, it's not a relationship. And yet here, I think you can't avoid the idea that this connection, it, it really is a relationship. It's a, a living, breathing thing. He's a vine, we're a branch. There's a, a symbiotic relationship here. And, and we want to revel in that. Because uh, as you were saying, John, there's nothing in me. Um, I can't produce these good works. I can think I'm my own gardener, but I'm terrible at it. Um We've got AI that can write a sermon, though I'm not recommending that, and I didn't do that this week. But there's no AI plant 
prunes itself, cultivates itself, waters itself. And if you think that's who you are, you're in trouble. But Jesus says, nope, I brought you into me. And you know what? I love verse eight really struck me this time around that this, when Jesus said, this is to my father's glory. Um, he wants this. He is, has a vested interest in vines that produce branches that produce fruit. So he's going to do everything he can do to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Starting with sending his son and his son poured out something that works better than any trick you ever had about uh, getting plants to grow, his blood. And when his blood soaked into your heart, you know what happened? Faith sprang forth and then fruit came from that. And he's going to keep on doing that because again, the triune God wants this. He wants huge bunches of fruits. He wants the fruit like they dragged out of the promised land that they had to carry between them this huge hunk of grapes. So he's, he is living and active. He's connected. Um, you know, we got all those images. You want to bring another metaphor. Jesus is ahead with the body and he is he cares. So if he began a work in you, which he did by calling you to faith, he's going to finish it. And and I, that, there's our motivation to get us off of our either our laziness of not doing anything. So James 2 or our arrogance, you know, the, to act like a two year old. I'm going to do it. I do it. No, let, let him do it. And that'll also back us off, I think, our tendency to legalism, that we're going to define people's fruits for them because the plant image is so cool. Um, when you plant your garden or your vineyard in your backyard, whatever you guys are doing, wherever you are, um, you can't tell it what to do, right? Okay, you're going to produce 150 grapes for me. I'm going to get 47 tomatoes from you, and you're going to give me peppers that rank this on the heat scale. No, you get what you get. And as we tell our kids, you don't throw a fit. So as preachers, we're going to do that too to say, you know, you're growing like a kid, and some of you might be toddling, and some of you aren't toddling, but that's the fruit Jesus is talking about. And, oh, man, he's just going to do awesome stuff for you because he is the vine. And so there was a super cool quote from John Chrysostom. If we want to put all our hope in Jesus, John Chrysostom said, remember that he is a vine that is sufficient for himself. We need to be connected to something. He doesn't. He just is. Mm -hmm. He's alive. He's the Lord of the universe. He was dead and he made himself alive again. He could do all the things we think we can do. And now he's doing it for us. Right, right. Uh, that pruning uh, picture early in the text, too, is also an interesting one that, um, you know, the, the father knows how to handle us so that we produce even more fruit. But um, uh, if you have an opportunity and can get a, a hold of Luther's works, his sermon on um, John 15 is, is kind of fun to read on these verses. But one of the things Luther does is uh, he pictures, you know, what the vine is thinking when the, the farmer walks up to it with the pruning knife. And, uh, you know, uh, th this is not probably what the, the vine wants or the branches, I should say, the branches growing off the vine. Um, uh, you know, I think Luther even pictures, you know, what the vine is thinking. This guy's coming at me with a knife and a bucket of manure. Um, what good could possibly come out of this and uh you know that that's how life seems sometimes or how the father is treating us but what he has in mind is um our vibrant uh, life our growth our fruitfulness um but he goes about that in ways we might not expect uh and sometimes through it's through a painful pruning process where he you know he exposes things in our lives that are not fruitful leads us to confess them and then uh, his grace, picking up words from the Acts reading here, his grace is so powerfully on us that, uh, you know, it forgives us, renews this life, and 
we end up bearing even more fruit. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I can pick up on in all three lessons as you were talking about them, Ben, notice this, God's love for us, um, our love for him, our love for one another and the fruit we bear, they're, they're always, always going together, right? I mean, where there is one, there is the other, or there are the other two, um, just in this beautiful cycle of life, um, yeah, which Jesus pictures perfectly here. Um, yeah, so if, if you really want to uh, emphasize the, the gospel here, uh, do you pick up on kind of the fact that Jesus has connected us to him? by grace, that he is constantly giving us life? Um, do you usually preach the gospel and then go into remain in me and the encouragements there and, and things like that? Uh, how do you kind of go about putting things in order in a text like this or hitting some of the main thoughts? Uh, John, ideas? Yeah, I guess I, in general, I've, I've brought in, I've, I've begun with that picture of what pruning is. And then I usually bring up illustrations like all the dead sticks that I have lying in my backyard that I haven't thrown away for too long. And they're, they're finally, they're doing no good and I have to get rid of them. And that kind of leads into the law, which again, sets up for the gospel. I, I think the gospel hinge point though, is really, we've, we've said it already, you are already clean. Um, I, I probably go law first on this, but then I really jump into that verse. It's It's been said that Lutherans should be the best ones that preach uh, for preaching sanctification because we know justification. And that almost seems what Jesus does here. He almost, he can't get too far ahead of himself before making that point. But then as it, it goes into the gospel too there, I, I love the certainty of just what's going to happen and, and why. And in verse five, a number of translations say, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But you could also translate it. It's a present act of participle, whole meno. The, the one remaining in me and I in him, this one bears much fruit. It's almost just a factual statement. This is just, this is going to happen. It's not, well, if you remain in me and if you remain in me enough and if you remain in me genuinely and if you remain in, no, no. You remain in me and fruit will be born. It's just this beautiful encouragement of certainty from the master gardener. And I've, I've enjoyed uh, kind of hitting on that point a little bit too, and then just kind of running with the gospel from there to see the work that he's doing. Um, picking up a little bit on what Ben said before though too, then it, as you remain in him, you do bear much fruit. And that's okay to think about how that's gonna happen and what it's gonna look like, but finally it's just gonna happen. And sometimes we don't wanna overthink um, either by prescribing fruit to others, as Ben mentioned, or even overthinking it in my own life, just to be in the word of God. And I bet God will open up my eyes to see my neighbor in need and opportunities to love him and her and, and love God through it all. Great, great. Ben, additional thoughts on kind of how you approach things in a sermon? Do you kind of just go in order of the text or highlight certain themes or, or sub-themes? In, in this particular case, verse 5 really dominated in, in my preaching, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and just, you know, like you said, the image of the, the vine and the branch, but, but like what John was talking about there at the end, just letting God be in control of it and explaining why we're going to just ad nauseum talk about Jesus. Cause it will just, without even realizing it, we'll start to notice things, but at the same time, we do need to be taught those things. Uh, I, I know I can speak for myself. I, I always, 
I don't want to do something just because I just read it and well, now I realize I should do it. And I, I always want everything to have been my idea, not necessarily in the selfish way, but like, oh, I had to see this and figure out I should have been doing that. How dumb, you know, it's like whenever I read the book of Hebrews, I always think, why can't I preach a sermon like that? But at the same time, that's exactly what our confessions say about the role of the saints. I think about Article 21, where, you know, Melanchthon is telling us saints aren't there for us to pray to. They're there to encourage us. So we just got Acts 4. I don't know. I mean, I think we take Luther so seriously on we're going to do good works just unconsciously without thinking about it. And then we leave it at that. Or, or we could read Acts 4 and realize, oh, that's what the church does. That's super cool. And I could do that. I love doing that. Now I know what God is actually calling me to do. And, and so, like you said, John, just constantly diving into the word to be comforted by these images of being brought into a vine, being dressed up in Jesus to be, you know, as again, that's what Melanchthon does in the apology over and over again. See, first, it's got to be Jesus because we're always going to put the law and, and try to do something with that. So let's get Jesus straight in our heads. Let's let's find our, our connection to him. And then I'll just show you these glorious fruits you can bear. And, and you, you really can do them. And it's it's okay because you had to be taught as a little kid. You know, you had to show your three-year-old how to tie their shoes, how to say I'm sorry, how to make their bed. And God is more than willing to do that for us. I'll show you, Jesus says, mm -hmm. after he assures you that you will bear fruit. And that doesn't have to be a threat. It's just Jesus kind of, I think that's a comforting word. Hey, guys, trust me. You're going to bear fruit. Just hold on. Bear with me. It's going to come. You'll, you're will you going to be fine. It's, it's what a teacher would encourage a student, what a parent encourages kids. It's going to be fine. I'm going to show you. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to walk you along the way. I'm going to give you all the nutrients you need. And I'll even tell you what to do. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I like how you point out, and one of the ways he gives that guidance is uh, the example of saints of the past. So, yeah, go back to Acts 4 here or keep reading the next few verses if you want to in Acts 4 and the believers just gathering together, supporting one another and uh, and how many other places could we find in scripture where you have depicted uh, people connected to God, receiving life from him and then bearing fruit uh, in all kinds of different ways. But yeah, getting in touch with those uh, scriptural narratives really does um, open our eyes to the opportunities that God presents in our lives for fruit bearing. Right? Um, ideas for uh, for themes uh, in, in the sermon. Um, you come up with any to kind of uh, focus in on a central idea or uh, a central image that you have used? What are you working with or thinking about? Yes. Yeah, I did not a, not a polished theme, but yeah, I mean, just bear fruit. And, and it could be because of who you are and because of what God will do. Um, again, just coming back to that, it's been mentioned before on podcasts here that why do we do this? It's not to become someone we're not already, right? We, we already are clean. We already are connected. So that's why I can bear fruit. But then also I can bear fruit because I can be confident in what, as Ben just talked about, well, what Jesus promises to do. And um, we can encourage our people in sanctification. We don't have to be shy about that, right? Because we have that certainty of Jesus and the real power to do it in the resurrected Savior, too. Right, right. Yeah. 
I think I've used a theme like connected for life, uh, something like that. Um, uh, I mean, first of all, just the life that we receive by being connected to Jesus, uh, but then also kind of the remain in me uh, versus connected for our lives. That that That's Jesus' will for us, stay connected to him so that we keep drawing the life that we need from him and that we keep bearing fruit. Uh, ben, any ideas? To share with preachers? Maybe um, just that, that last thought spurred the idea of just like, you're going to grow. You mm -hmm. know, just you, you're, it's an affirmative. It's, it's, it's biblical, you know, produce fruits. John says it's going to happen. And now here, Jesus doesn't just, I said, give it as a, a threat or a command. Like John's was an imperative, produce fruit and keep it with repentance. And James, um, faith without deeds is dead. But Jesus is saying, Hey, you're going to grow. That's just, just what you do because I've given you life. So I, I think that is a way you could do both uh, the, the gospel and you know the encouragement to a Christian life that's going to keep you focused on why you're going to grow. Great. Great. All right. Anything further uh, for preachers? Uh, John? Yeah, just that picture of growing and pruning that you can come up with different ideas but I, I mentioned the vineyards of Virginia before I, I met went many times as well into Washington DC to the National uh, Arboretum I believe it was and they have some of the world's most prized bonsai trees you know the little trees that get pruned over the years to be shaped and from what I learned was these master bonsai crafters or whatever we want to call them they have such intimate knowledge of those trees. They know every little branch and every little leaf. And, and when they prune those, this isn't like me in my backyard hacking away at my bushes <laughs> with a dull, you know, shears and stuff. Uh, this is just a master who, who knows everything he's doing to produce the best fruit over a long time. I mean, these trees keep doing this for a while. And obviously, if you connect that to Jesus, sometimes it feels like when this pruning is happening, and cross and trial are coming into my life. It seems so just chaotic, and and I don't see the point. And I wonder, God, where are you uh, in this? And and Luther's points that you brought up earlier, John, are so good. But behind it all is the master gardener, just knowing exactly what he's doing. But then also that on those little bonsai trees, and if you're a master bonsai master, your name like goes by that tree, and everyone identifies that tree was done by your hands. And that reminds me of of our kind of our last verses there where it says, this is all uh, to my father's glory, verse eight, that you bear much fruit. You know, that the father's name finally is put on you and, and me as his masterwork. What an incredible honor that is by gospel, by grace alone. Or if we want to switch back, maybe made bonsai tree to the, the winemakers. You know, if the name Rothschild goes on a bottle of wine or some of the world's great vine, uh, winemakers, that means that is valuable. So all this is finally to my father's glory, your father's glory. He puts his name on us with his masterwork of pruning. Well, I'm I'm in good hands. I'm in the gardener's hands, and those are good hands to be in. Great ideas. Thank you for those. Uh, hey, anything further for uh, uh, get preachers thinking, Ben? Yeah, um, a year or two ago, I read a book that the quarterly recommended. I can't remember the title now, and it was about making connections between the Old and New Testament. And, and the author made a big point of saying, you know, especially in the Gospels, when keying off of words and saying, 
there might be more intentionality in the words that Jesus and, and the gospel writers were using and drawing Old Testament things in. And and on the one hand, you want to be careful because we aren't in Jesus' head. But on the other hand, I think there were a couple Old Testament connections that would be worth pondering. I, I didn't end up making a huge use of them in my sermon, but they, they might be a direction. So we get our word catharsis in, in, in verse two or three, you know, the clean, the cleanse. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're talking about plants, we can't help but think in Leviticus about clean and unclean things. You are clean. And God has made that distinction for his people. And the people Jesus is talking to have lived that distinction. And now he's declaring them clean. You are a clean plant, uh, something that could be picked and eaten and enjoyed. It's kosher. Um, so I, I always, whenever I see catharsis in a text, I always get excited. Um, the whole image, though, of, of vine and branches, which, of course, Jesus uses in a bunch of parables. But that's coming out of Isaiah 5, right? Yeah. I planted a vineyard. And that's an image God uses for his people. Uh, Jesus picks it up in parables. And it's, I didn't do a study. So someone, I'm going to give someone a homework assignment. All the times I can think of it, the vineyard is pretty terrible. You know, my I planted a vineyard and they are the worst. They are unfaithful. They, their walls are crumbling. Now we finally got a vineyard that's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. And there's a reason for that. Because Jesus is there. And I'm going to mix metaphors again. In this section, our section, he's the vine. But when he tells a parable about a vineyard in Luke 13, he's the guy who stops the master from destroying a a poorly producing tree. He says, give me time to dig around it. I'll work on it. And that thought I did kind of pull into my text this week, that the, the same Jesus who says, you're clean, the words I've spoken to you have cleaned you. We didn't even talk about that verse really that much here, that, yeah, you know, the yeah. power of the word again. But right. Jesus mm-hmm. is the guy who's saying, hey, so if if it's the vine talking to the root, maybe, you know, if we want to get, you know, anthropomorphic here or personify this whole thing and say, hey, don't don't uh, don't uh, give up on this branch yet. It's it's going to get some grapes. I'm 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 shooting some chlorophyll out there to make it green. And I'm I'm doing everything in my power to get these grapes big and, and ripe or whatever it is, because that's who Jesus is. Hold on. I'm going to work on it. And again, that's the promise he makes. He's working on us. He really is. He's applying forgiveness to us again and again and again and again and again and again to keep us alive. Right. Yeah, and that's that, uh, the word I have spoken to you, that's why he wants us to stay connected to him because he has that word of life and wants to keep on giving it to us Uh Great ideas. Yeah, lots for preachers to think about, uh, but this beautiful image of gardener, the vine, the branches, the fruit, uh, the life, the pruning, um, so much to work with here. God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim the life, the fruitful life that we have in our Savior.